0: Oh, I didn't need correcting. Yeah. The shutter is yeah. out order! Order! Let's start off as we need to go on. We can see a better future. It's not a competition. Who can show the loads? Order. 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 Order.
1: Hello, I'm Brandon and welcome the left wingers podcast today the left wingers are in conversation with dan jarvis he's been my mp for my home constituency of Barnsley central since 2011 he's recently brought out a book long way home and he's also the outgoing mayor of south yorkshire thank you so much for joining us today dan my pleasure so we're going to start off with a really important question now when this podcast comes out, it should be just at the start of December. So I feel like it's, it's an appropriate question to ask. What is your favourite Christmas song?
0: My favourite Christmas song? Well, that's a tough question. Well, <laughs> as, it, as you will know, I am a massive fan of the local youth choir. Barnsley yes, youth of choir. course. So my, my favourite Christmas song would definitely be sung by the Barnsley Youth Choir. I'm going to a concert in early December in, in Barnsley. I think Christmas is is a really sort of special time of the year. You know my, my life as an MP and as a mayor is is very busy and there's always stuff going on. And the one point of the year where things slow down a bit is Christmas. So I think my my favorite Christmas song would be a Christmas carol sung by the Barnsley Youth Choir probably in St Mary's Church by the town hall. I think that would be
1: my that would be my sort of favorite Christmas sound. So You have released a book called Long Way Home, Love, Life, Death and Everything in Between. It's a great book. It's really emotional and it's a great insight into, I think, you as a person and what makes you tick and how you've become the person that you are today. But just for our listeners at home who might not have read that book yet, although they definitely will after this episode, how did you end up in politics?
0: Well, I ended up in politics via... 15 years of service in the army so I suppose I, I would trace my interest back in politics to my childhood you know my parents were public servants they were they were both teachers they were both Labour Party members and we didn't spend a huge amount of time talking about politics at home but certainly there was a sense of seeking to do things that that made a difference to other people and I I, I could have learned and experienced that from the the youngest possible age I. Ended up in the army, and, and that was a, a pretty challenging number of years. And the reason I did that basically was was for reasons of public service. You know, I wanted to do something worthwhile uh, that gave me the opportunity to serve, and, and the army certainly did that, although it did it in a pretty sort of challenging way. But due to a set of circumstances which I describe in the book, I felt it was the right thing to do to leave, uh, and I had to think about w- what I was going to do next. And you know, I'd, I'd always been you know, supportive of the, the Labour Party and, and I'd done a degree at university that, that wasn't sort of strictly kind of political, but it was international politics, strategic studies. So i thought about politics and kept a very close eye on it and interest in it. So when I wasn't able to serve in the army, I, I thought long and hard about whether there might be an opportunity in politics. And then, as is sometimes the way, you know, an opportunity arose it was the height of the expenses scandal and there was going to be a by-election taking place in in Barnsley and unlike any other job I decided to to apply for it and to put my name forward and you know I remember very clearly that um, everybody who I spoke to said that I shouldn't bother it was a complete waste of my time but didn't have any chance whatsoever of, of being selected as the Labour candidate and I, I listened to that advice very carefully and nodded sagely and and completely ignored it. And it was the best thing that I've ever done. And I'm incredibly proud that now for more than 10 years, I've served as the MP for Barnsley Central. I have a a really wonderful relationship with my constituency. It's a fantastic place. And I'm very proud uh, to represent them in Parliament. And latterly, represent not only the people of Barnsley Central, but everybody in South Yorkshire as their mayor. So I think my my journey into politics was rooted in a desire to, to serve the public, to make a difference um, and to get things done to help people out, and that's how I've ended up doing what what it is that
1: I now do. Well, it's a good job for, for us now that you did actually kind of turn away those people who are trying to dissuade you because you are an excellent local MP. I kind of attest to that, and uh, also a great South Yorkshire mayor. Now, we were talking to Johnny Ball of the Veterans in Politics podcast just a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things they mentioned was how valuable the transferable skills and the kind of coping mechanisms of being in the military are for those who then choose to go into public office. What kind of transferable skills and and those coping mechanisms do you think have been useful to you going from military service into the position that you're in now?
0: Well, I consider myself to have been lucky in the sense that I had the perfect apprenticeship for politics. You know, serving the armed forces and Going to places like Afghanistan and Kosovo and Iraq and Northern Ireland and elsewhere, I think gives you an experience. It gives you a perspective. It gives you a judgment that is really useful when you're serving in politics. So I I think I'm fortunate to to have. I didn't always think it at the time, but I'm fortunate to have had those experiences. But I think I think more more generally that the public want their politicians, they want their local members of parliament. To have some real life experience to know what it's like to get up in the morning and to go and do a job of work that's not to say that you know there aren't people in parliament and in politics who've you know not necessarily have those professional experiences who don't have a contribution to make because you know there are some very talented people but i i think you know doing a job that's difficult that challenges you that that means that you you have to sort of develop a range of different experiences and and life skills is, is really helpful and stands you in good stead because being an MP, being a uh, mayor, you know, th- these are not easy jobs. They're not even jobs. You know, they are life experiences um, that require you to commit everything that you've got. You know, being a member of parliament, it's not a nine to five, Monday to Friday job. It is seven days a week. Somebody said to me just recently that I have two jobs, neither of which have an off switch. And that is, that is entirely Correct. You know, these are huge commitments and and the public deserve somebody who's going to give everything that they've got. And that's what I try and do. I think it is an enormous privilege to be in public life. I'm immensely proud of being a member of parliament and a mayor. And as a consequence, I commit a lot to it. Every single day I get up, I do the best that I can. And when I get to the end of the day, you know, I want to satisfy myself that there's nothing more that I could have done. To serve my constituents, and that is the way that I approach it. So I think having the background, the experiences that I've had, mean that I'm well placed to deal with Parliament. And also, you know, frankly, you know, in politics, you sometimes have to deal with a curveball and all the shenanigans that go on. And I think if you've, you know, done difficult things previously, you are well placed not to kind of always get too kind of um, overtaken by events. And you know, sometimes things happen in politics, and you you might kind of be forgiven for thinking that it's a terrible thing that's happened but the reality is in the bigger scheme of things these are challenges to deal with and
1: uh, and that is the approach that I try to take. Well there's no doubt in that you've got a lot of experience actually going into politics but and this might not be something that you necessarily think about a lot because I I can I know that you're kind of a a bit of a pragmatist you know you're you're very firmly rooted in labour values but you are a pragmatist at the end of the day I, I would say from my personal experience of of working alongside you but how about would you go about defining your politics if you had to? What are the kind of main things that drive you? Th-
0: firstly, th- th- thank you for what you've just said. I mean, I'm a pragmatist in the, in the sense that I'm in government. I'm the only Labour MP in government. There isn't another Labour MP that is taking decisions and allocating resources in the way that our Labour mayors do. So you have to be pragmatic if you're in government because you've got limited amount of resources I'm also a Labour mayor having to work under a Conservative government. So (laughs) you you have to be pretty pragmatic when when that is the case. So I think in in terms of of my politics and the way that I approach it, look, for for me, this is not some kind of sort of theoretical discussion. You know, politics for me is about practical delivery. It's about how you get stuff done. It's about how you make a difference to people in their everyday lives, so, so my politics are, are rooted in, in the ethos of, of public service. But I hope, you know, people look at me and they, they won't agree, of course, um, with everything that I say and everything that I do. You know, that's the nature of politics. But ultimately, what drives me is results. It, it's getting stuff done. It's about serving the people who elect you to do a difficult job. And I, I feel very fortunate that, you know, particularly in recent times as the mayor, You know, we've been able to unlock hundreds of millions of pounds of investment. We've secured, created thousands of jobs, doing a huge amount of work to improve our public transport system. We've got the basis of a plan to get us to net zero carbon emissions by 2040. There are lots of things that we can point to now that would never have happened if we hadn't had a Labour mayor. So my politics are are rooted in the practical desire to deliver for the public. Uh, and that's what gets me out of bed. And that's what keeps me going.
1: So if you could achieve one policy change, and we're kind of talking more at a, at a national level, in the next year, what would that policy change be? I know it's quite difficult to narrow it down to just just the one when there's so many different things that you care about. But if you could, just the one policy, please.
0: The, the, the one policy for me over the next year would be making much more progress than the government have done in terms of what they describe as the levelling up agenda. So... One of the greatest acts of national self-harm is a complete inability over many years to unlock the huge potential of the north of England. I, I say this to, to you, Brandon, as someone who, who knows and understands very clearly the huge potential that we have in the north. But what we haven't had is, is the wherewithal, the investment, the plan to actually unlock the huge potential and, and drive our economy forward. Now, that would be a very good thing. For the north of England but it isn't just about the north it's in the whole country's interest to make sure that we we reduce the levels of regional inequality that we've all put up with for far too long it's completely unacceptable that kids in my constituency won't enjoy the same life opportunities as kids who who grow up in more affluent parts of the country that people will die many years earlier in Barnsley than they would if they were living in Belgravia that is absolutely outrageous but we've just accepted it as a country and I don't think that we should. So to answer your question directly, it, the, the one thing that I would want to do, and, and you know, the government have missed a massive opportunity in recent days through the publication of their integrated rail plan, which was their own big test that they'd set themselves to kind of level up the north of England, would be to bring forward a meaningful plan underpinned by transformative resource to give our economic fortunes the kind of sort of boost that it it really needs invest in our transport infrastructure crucially invest in our people skills education training health outcomes and actually really go some way to unlock the potential of the north of england that that is kind of my burning political priority and if i was in government nationally
1: that would be the thing that i would be pushing to achieve so to get into government nationally and to achieve transformative change in the country we're gonna have to win back those red wall seats that unfortunately we lost in 2019. Barnsley luckily uh, was held on to no doubt and that's through the hard work of the local constituency party but how does Labour win back those seats which it lost and actually go further and win more seats in northern England to ensure that when the next general election comes around whatever that might be I'm not too sure myself at the moment how do we win back those supporters and win new supporters onto our side?
0: The big prize in British politics is securing a Labour government. And that's what I hope all of us in the Labour movement are working to achieve. And you know, it's been so frustrating. Every single day that I've spent in Parliament, has been in opposition. It is a terrible place to be. Every mm-hmm. single day. It's deeply frustrating because you see things that government could but aren't doing to make a difference to the communities that, that we represent and particularly as the mayor you know I've I, I've felt all sorts of frustrations because again you know there are so many things that the government could be doing to actually you know drive our economy forward to unlock huge potential that exists in our communities but they choose not to do so for their own reasons so, so we need we need a Labour government and if we're going to achieve that we've got to win back the seats that, that we lost in 2019 but of course go much further than that and win seats that we've not held many years you know that's not going to be easy let's be honest about the fact that the scale of the challenges is significant but I think that we are making progress you know you and I and lots of people listening to this will know how tough the 2019 general election was you know in Barnsley which has been a sort of traditional heartland seat we we had to scrap for every single vote and it was house by house street by street ward by ward and we got there in the end but it was very very challenging I think in in the end the work that local parties do is, is incredibly important. Of course it is. You know, you need Labour councillors demonstrating the work that they're doing in the communities. You need active local parties knocking on doors, having those conversations in the workplace, getting out there, social media, making the case for why people should, should support Labour. And that's a really important part of, it, of any campaign. But I think, you know, in the end, a lot of people's decision about who they're going to vote for is, is driven by what they see on the telly and, uh, and what they're thinking nationally we're the unusual people who will you know, turn up on a Monday night and, and, and discuss politics. That's not what the majority of the public are doing. They're you know, watching Coronation Street or speaking to the mates or listening to music or, or doing whatever, whatever it is that they want to do, and that's absolutely fine. <laughs> that, is, that is their absolute right. So how can we reach those people uh, and how can we convince them that they can place their faith and trust in us in a way that they haven't been able to do for a number of years? I think, I think that is partly a, about convincing them you know, that we are the people who have got the answers to the massive challenges that our country faced. We've been through an extraordinarily difficult period. This has been the most challenging time in our country's history since the Second World War, and the process of recovering from it will likely take many, many years. So in the battle of ideas that the next general election will be, I think we have to clearly project that we've got the best plan, that if you want a fairer more progressive country, that you come with us uh, and you support the ideas and the proposals that we've brought forward. So over the next number of months and potentially the next couple of years, the, the job of work that has to be done is drawing together the basis of that story. What is our retail offer to the public? You know, very few people will read the detail of a manifesto. What are the big headline things that we're going to commit to do? And then have we got the people... Out there, kind of sort of communicating those messages uh, and actually demonstrating our credibility to deliver on those things. And we've got to make sure that we have got those people and we have got trusted, skilled, decent communicators out there making the case both positively uh, for, for Labour, but also in terms of you know taking on the government and highlighting the huge shortfall in, in what they've been able to achieve. So that is it. That is a Herculean effort, and it requires everybody to roll up their sleeves. And to work collegiately, constructively with each other so that together we can secure that big prize, which is Keir Starmer as prime minister and a Labour government delivering for, for our people and our communities. That is going to be challenging. But do you know what? I think that we can do that. Um, in the end, you know, the wonderful thing about politics is it's there to be shaped. You know, it's in our hands. You know, and we've got to demonstrate that hunger and that commitment to, to winning back, to taking back the seats that we lost and winning seats that that we will need in order to form a government and and that will be a big challenge but I'm up for it and I know that there are tens of thousands of dedicated labour activists
1: around the country who are also up for it as well. One of the things that in recent times you've written quite extensively about and you've talked about in the media is the government and international response to Afghanistan and the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. It's it's part of our uh, recent history which you have experienced firsthand. And uh, what are your, your opinions on the government's withdrawal from Afghanistan and how that situation has actually been dealt with?
0: Along with many other people who served in Afghanistan, I, I was dismayed at the deterioration in the security situation. I think it was very badly handled, uh, both by President Biden in the United States, but by our own government, who were just asleep at the wheel, really. Uh, uh, we now know that all sorts of briefings were sent by our Ambassador to the Foreign Office and to the Foreign Secretary, but not properly acted upon. Uh, and that's heartbreaking For all of us who committed such a lot to the country. it is obviously particularly horrendous for the families of those British servicemen and women who, who lost their lives serving in that country. It also matters because you know th- this is about our national security. Afghanistan is in a sort of very strategically important part of the world and the geopolitics of that region, impact on our country as well. So I think whilst it may probably not be a a defining issue in in terms of the way in which people vote at the next general election, I think it is deeply depressing that the government don't seem to want to show international leadership. There have been many opportunities for the Prime Minister, not least when he was was chairing uh, the G7, to mobilise the international community to provide vocal, focused opposition to the new Taliban regime in Afghanistan. We now find ourselves in a situation that, along with others, I warned would be the case, that that country is now facing a humanitarian catastrophe. There is a real risk that millions of people, including millions of kids, will starve in Afghanistan this winter. That, that is, it, it is just a catastrophe, all of which was entirely avoidable if we'd had the basis of a plan to stabilise the country. So, you know, I think it is important that the Labour movement is internationalist in its outlook. I do want to see the British government seeking to show some real leadership on the international stage and actually project our values around the world in a way that is, is, is responsible. But I think we've seen none of that leadership from, from from the government. I've been really impressed with the way that Lisa Nandy has, has led that response from our party. And I think these are things that, even though that may not necessarily be defining issues in the next general election, people do care about. They do expect Britain to be a player on the global stage, and they do want us to act in a a responsible way that seeks to uphold international law and our values. So I will continue to remain closely engaged with Afghanistan. I'm in constant talks with Save the Children and a range of other organisations about the unfolding humanitarian catastrophe. And I will certainly be doing what I can in Parliament to hold the government to account and try and get them to do more than they have done in, in recent weeks and months.
1: What do you think the government's next step should be in terms of what happens next with Afghanistan? Because I think most people would agree that the withdrawal in itself was a catastrophe and it was very badly handled. But what what can the government do now to respond to the crisis which is unfolding in Afghanistan?
0: Well, unpalatable, though, it will be to many. There needs to be diplomatic engagement with the new regime in Kabul. There needs to be cooperation with international allies, particularly those in the region. And and, and there needs to be a process potentially around the removal of the sanctions that are preventing the supply of medical and food aid getting into Afghanistan. I I mean, I was talking to somebody, say the children, just the other day. Who, who described how serious the situation is at the moment. Uh, I was told a particular story about eight children from the same family who'd all died. Uh, and as I say, there are millions of people facing the harshest of winters simply without the kind of sort of basic, the, the basics to, to, to enable them to survive. So the gravity of the situation is, is deeply concerning. And I just don't think that, particularly given the long-standing commitment that we have to the country, that it is the right thing to do to abandon people in their hour of need. It's shameful, in my view, that the government have have cut international development aid in the way that they have. They've increased it slightly, but only on the the back of the cuts that they had made. You know, Britain is still, despite everything in recent times, Britain is still seen as being able to wield some diplomatic influence. You know, we have got relationships with partner nations in the region and with other international allies, uh, not least the United States. So there needs to be a greater focus on those diplomatic networks and exploring the art of the possible. But so far, I'm afraid, we've seen a pretty underwhelming response from the government. and I, I worry that that will continue. I hope that it won't. But I think the stakes are so high in terms of the number of people who who, who are facing the harshest of Afghan winters that I hope that the government will will step up the activity and explore what can be done to support those people given the huge
1: the huge risks that currently they are facing. Going from the international to I suppose the hyper-local to the regional level again you've recently announced that you're planning to step down as South Yorkshire Mayor. Do you think that in that role you've achieved what you set out to achieve? I know that you've mentioned that you've had quite a lot of challenges in terms of having a Conservative government at the time of being a, a Labour Mayor but do you feel like you, you've made good progress in that role?
0: Well it will be for others to judge the the progress that has been made but you'll perhaps forgive me if if I just sort of gently point out that I you know I inherited a situation where there wasn't a deal in place. I am the only mayor the only mayor who inherited a situation where the, the deal hadn't been agreed. So what I had to do Uh, And this was one of the reasons why I took the unusual decision also to remain as a Member of Parliament. And by the way, that was absolutely the right thing to do. We wouldn't have got a deal agreed had I not done that. But we got a deal agreed, and that took some time. And we've been able to unlock the resource that devolution uh, has to offer. And also, you know, I, I was looking back at my manifesto the other day. Obviously, you know, the manifesto never took into account the fact that we would have to deal with you know, the, the largest public health crisis that any of us have experienced. You know, none of us saw that coming. I, I, I've had the challenge of unlocking a devolution deal in a way that, that other people didn't have to do. I then had to, to navigate the whole process of COVID and the massive impact that that's had on South Yorkshire, although, of course, all of the other mayors have similarly had to experience that. And basically what we've now got is a mayoral combined authority that is, is delivering for people in, in South Yorkshire. It's never an easy decision in politics to, to let go and to hand over the baton to somebody else. But I took the view that it was the right thing to do. You know, in many respects, it would have been great to keep going and kind of build on the platform that's been constructed and, and continue to, to do the work and take the decisions and allocate resources. You know, there would be a certain appeal to that. But I didn't think it was the right thing to do, not least because I'd previously said that it wasn't a long-term commitment. So I think now is the right moment to bring forward new talent and for somebody else to see what they can make of the arrangement. And whoever it is, I can absolutely guarantee that I will give them every support uh, that they want, um, and I will do everything that I possibly can to ensure that they are successful as the next mayor of South Yorkshire, because these are big, important jobs. You know, the decisions that you make do make a real difference to people and their livelihoods in our region. So having invested such a lot of time and effort in getting a devolved institution up and running, I very much hope that the next mayor will want to kind of build on, on what we've done and actually continue to demonstrate to people in South Yorkshire that having a mayor will add real value to their lives. And, you know, I, I will do everything that I can to make sure that that process continues and that it is successful.
1: Thank you very much. Well, I've got a question now from one of this podcast's most avid listeners, and I'm not sure how, how professional it is to say this, but this question comes from my mum. She wants to know, as a, as a constituent in, in Barnsley Central, what will you do now that you're stepping down as South Yorkshire Mayor? What does the, the political future look like for you?
0: Well, firstly, Brandon send my very best wishes to you, Mum. It, it, it's a good question. Truth of the matter is... I don't honestly know because politics can be a bit like that you don't always know what's around the corner what I do know is despite the fact that when I first stood to be the mayor you know people said that I shouldn't be doing it and I don't think that they necessarily always kind of understood the complexities of of our arrangement but what I do know is along with the other boroughs in South Yorkshire that Barnsley has definitely benefited from having me as the mayor and There are lots of things that I can point to uh, across the borough of Barnsley that we've done and that we've invested in that that are now making a real difference. I think, in terms of the future, I'd go back to the point I made earlier on about the big prize. The big prize is is securing a Labour government. So I will certainly be doing everything that I can to support Keir and our front bench in Parliament. I'll be continuing to do all of the the work that I I want to do in Barnsley. And I think people deserve an active constituency MP, someone that they're going to see on the doorstep or in the shop or in the town centre or wherever it might be. So I'll be out about as much as I possibly can having those kind of conversations, listening to what people have got to say. In terms of you know the, the future and what's around the corner in, in Parliament, I don't know, because in the end, these are things for, for the leader to decide. But certainly I will be doing everything that I possibly can, both locally in Barnsley, across South Yorkshire and nationally as well to make sure that we elect a Labour government. And that will be my primary focus alongside serving my constituents in Barnsley Central. From now on up until the point where the, the election takes place, whenever that may be.
1: Thank you very much. That was a, that was a very interesting answer. And I'm, uh, I'm sure that my mum uh, will be pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I hope so. I hope so. If, she's, if she's not, she should come back to me and we'll,
1: we'll discuss it further. A question that we ask to all of our guests. On our in conversation with series is what advice would you give to young people who would like to get into politics in the future?
0: I would start from the position of, of politics being a noble pursuit. You know, MPs, politicians don't necessarily have a particularly good reputation. You know, there are lots of members of the public who you know think that we're in it for what we can get out of it. My experience, and certainly within the Labour family, is that the overwhelming majority of people are. In it for what they can give, if not for what they can get. So I think you know, younger people shouldn't in any way be discouraged from stepping forward, and I would encourage them to do so. It's been a particular privilege as the mayor to set up and work really closely with the Youth Combined Authority. The Youth Combined Authority you know, is a great group of, of younger people across South Yorkshire, and I meet with them regularly, and, and we have a really constructive conversation. And they tell me what they think, and believe me, they, they, they definitely tell me what they think and they bring all sorts of um of really good ideas forward and and we've implemented a number of them you know I, i'm really proud of of the zoom pass that we've introduced which allows anybody 21 and under to travel on the buses for a single charge of atp and and that proposal really came out of conversations that i'd, I'd had with the youth combined authority so i would certainly encourage people to step forward i would certainly encourage people to engage I'd certainly encourage people to directly contact their local representatives, you know, their councillors, their members of parliament. You know, don't underestimate the importance of, of your voice. You know, if a young person in my constituency gets in touch with me and says, you know, I think whatever it might be, whether it's the environment, whether it's public transport, whether it's education, whatever it might be, if a young person steps forward to me and says, actually, this is a priority for me and I want to know, Dan Jarvis, what you're doing about it, and that is a conversation I've had on very many occasions Then you know, I take that very seriously. Indeed, you know, I, I will make sure that that young person gets a really good response from me and engages in a process of dialogue so that I can learn more about their views. So young people listening to this shouldn't for one moment, uh, I don't think, underestimate you know, the importance of their voice and the contribution that they can seek to make. I've given you quite a, sort of, <laughs> quite a serious answer. So let me just end it by saying the other thing about politics is, despite everything I've just said, I think it it can be, and not everyone would necessarily agree with this, it can be and should be great fun as well. And I think, you know, one of the great things about being part of the Labour family is, you know, we, we have a fallout, don't we? Of course we do. And sometimes those spill into the public domain. But in the main, you know, my experience of, of the Labour family is it's a great place to be. And it's a really good network of, of good friends with whom we have shared values and who we spend quite a bit of time and, and get on very well with. So, you know, for, for young people, I think, you know, there are all sorts of opportunities in terms of developing your networks and getting to know people and, you know, making friends and developing those kind of sort of linkages with people that you'll, you know, you'll spend your life with and get to know and, and work alongside to achieve common cause Uh, And I think, you know, that the the Labour Party as as a a movement for delivering social change is is the best organisation that we've ever had in this country for delivering social change. So uh, for young people who care about their communities and who want to make a contribution to the country, get involved, roll your sleeves up, make the most of it, but enjoy it as well. That would be my advice.
1: Thank you, Dan Jarvis, so much for coming on the podcast today. I understand that. I don't want to keep you, for, for too much longer, because I, I know that you've got to to go and vote against the, the government's health and social care bill. So I'm very conscious of that. But do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with?
0: Well, I think my my final thoughts would be really to focus on on the importance of, of politics and the huge opportunity that we in the Labour movement have to contribute to it. We, we find ourselves at a point where... The scale of the challenges that we face as a country and as an international community, they're almost overwhelming. You know we've just just had the COP26 conference, which was a kind of gathering together of the great and the good from around the world, and you know that was an opportunity to try and seek agreement around the massive environmental challenges that we face. And I think some progress has been made, but not to the extent that was really required. So there is this urgent environmental challenge that we face. There is huge inequalities globally, but but certainly nationally as well. You know, regional disparities that provide, you know, a massive challenge politically for us as a country. So th- there's, there's a lot to do. And I think, you know, whatever disagreements we've had amongst ourselves in, in, in recent years, you know, I, I look at this government really with a strong sense of dismay. You know, look at the Prime Minister, you know, he's kind of... I just don't think he's somewhat... Who understands the nature of the lives that most people lead in our country and I don't think he understands the challenges that certainly many of my constituents face you know we're moving into the winter the reality is there are lots of people who have to make tough decisions about whether they put the bloody heating. you know it's 2021 and people are going to you know shiver and struggle to feed their families and face all sorts of challenges that I don't think people should be facing in this day and age now that is a result of political choice. It doesn't have to be that way. It is that way, because we've got a government who, frankly, will talk the talk when it comes to standing up for, for working people, but, but, but just won't do it when it comes to sort of taking the, the tough decisions that need to be made. So I think whilst it is an extraordinarily challenging time, I also think we should be positive about that, that, that presenting an opportunity. And the opportunity that presents itself to us now to take this government on to get organised and secure a Labour government. And if we can do that, if there's so much that we can do, so much that we can achieve together. And despite, you know, all, all of the tough times that we've all lived through in recent times, I'm proud of the Labour movement, proud of our Labour Party, proud to be a Labour MP, proud to be a Labour mayor. And I look forward to working you know, with colleagues across the Labour movement to make sure that we get a Labour government. That is the big prize. So let's roll up our sleeves and make sure that together we deliver it.
1: Thank you so much for coming on today, Dan. It's been great to have you. It's been great to have a chat and I'm sure that our listeners will take a lot away from, from our conversation.
0: My pleasure, Brandon. It's good to see you.
1: Good to see you too. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can like us on Facebook and you can also subscribe to us. Don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about us. It's the main way that we grow our podcast. And every one of your listeners really counts. And we really appreciate your contributions to the podcast. Also, don't forget to buy Don Jarvis's Long Way Home. Uh, It's an excellent read. Can't recommend it enough. And it's a great insight into the way that he, as an elected official, works. Keep whinging and we'll see you soon.